Hi, I'm Marilee Albert, the founder of One Village Green, a mental health nonprofit. And you are listening to Wake Up. Unless you've been living under a rock for the last several years, you've seen something somewhere about the growing mental health crisis in our country, especially amongst our youth. Something is wrong. But what is causing this crisis? We will examine the problem and find solutions to improve our collective mental health. So let's put our heads together and let's find a way to a better future. I would like to introduce Dr. Emily Shum. She is a licensed psychologist who's been practicing in Rancho Cucamonga since 2018. And she currently runs the Holistic Health Collaborative in Rancho Cucamonga. Emily, why don't you tell us more about what you do? And I've already told you that you're one of the heroes helping a a serious crisis. We already had a mental health crisis in our kids before the pandemic. And it's not just the kids, but, you know, that's our collective priority. So let's hear. Tell us about yourself. I just having like that name or that hero um, attached to me is never something I expected. I just... Um, I pursue my passions and my purpose to the highest level that I possibly can with within my imperfect human means. And it takes, like you said, like your name, it takes a village. So the name of my organization has collaborative in it because we have to be in this together. And so I do collaborate with other colleagues. Our city is on the forefront and has won a number of awards. So their public health arm is called Healthy RC and we collaborate together and they have a mental health subcommittee. And so when I moved to Rancho Cucamonga, I was able to be part of that subcommittee. And that was just a starting point for our, our partnership in the community. So I partner with them regularly and we they already had mental health symposiums going on quarterly in the community. So we worked to develop those. Our last one before the pandemic was predictive. It was about grief and loss. So that was fall of 2019 Mm -hmm. and a number of relationships developed out of that symposium, one of my uh, mentees now was a panelist talking about her grief and loss journey as a young person losing her mom so early. And now she has talked about resilience at the team summit in our city. Like getting goosebumps talking about like just the way the connections and our partnerships have developed over a very difficult past two years and beyond. But there have been those silver linings, you know, things that come out of it mm-hmm. that show community strength and resilience. So highlight those, right? Mm-hmm. One of the other partnerships is with Maya Gwen and her group is mm-hmm. Three Lines Collective. Mm-hmm. And she does improv. And so oh, she's see. Uh, taught improv to adults and teenagers and children. And she did that professionally. But we partnered together. Our first partnership was the summer of 2020. And with social distance and all, we just made it work because it was needed and everybody wore masks and this little group of kids doing social skills with improv activities. And the improv allows young people and adults to express themselves in a mm-hmm. way that's mm-hmm. unique, oh, yeah. uh, that's different than in therapy or mm-hmm. different than like from the get-go, like where do I start talking about my emotions, right? Mm-hmm. So from a creative lens, they're able to express themselves and they get comfortable and then sometimes they can talk about tough th- things together. Oh, I'm all about art. Where they can practice relating. You also collaborated with her on a book. Yeah, she's a very creative person. She helps to bring out my artists because... Mm -hmm. 
I fuel it into things that look very practical. And she's a creative writer as well. So we've been talking about, you know, team self-care for a while. And we were starting to work on a grant. We developed a grant proposal for racial healing groups mm. for teens. It didn't get picked up, but we did a crowdfund. And we got some funding to do it. And we did it at our Transitional AIDS Youth Center Mm -hmm. for four weeks. And fortunately, we had some data that we're still working on trying to develop that to do future groups on that topic. And so both of us were in that group in person, distance with masks. I've taken the risk all the way through the pandemic because kids need to be in person. Some of them, they just can't do them. The Zoom. Absolutely. It scares me that a lot of people are now just permanently making things virtual. It it scares me because part of the problem is the isolation. And that was becoming a problem even before the pandemic with kids. Yeah. So I'm glad you're bringing that up because that's one of the concerns about, you know, we've talked about some topics to bring up, but, you know, society wise is, you know, what do you do with this and how do you limit that and how does it affect mental health for young people? So, yeah, Mm -hmm. we could definitely circle around to that. We talked about, you know, kind of the core components we'd want teens to have Mm -hmm. to take care of themselves. Because I've done self-care for women all along or like therapist self-care. It's like we don't communicate. So Mm -hmm. how do we teach them active listening and give them a little tidbit about that? What does that sound like? Mindfulness. Okay, that helps people deal with stress. That helps people manage their emotions, right? Mm -hmm. So we put a bunch of different active mindfulness activities in there because a lot of people think mindfulness or meditation is just sitting in in stillness. And it's very difficult for even adults to do that. So I tend towards active mindfulness. Yoga is one go-to. And then one I do a lot with young people is kind of body work. So it's a very slow, slow, intentional walk. And so it's every little movement I am recognizing. And then as my foot, each little piece of my foot touches the ground, they notice it. It's this very, very intentional slowing down and paying attention to where my body is going. Adults could use that too. Yeah, adults can use lots of the things in there. Mine is just really good at making things like fun and bright. So we did a little short cartoon and we tried to make it as relatable as possible about Mm -hmm. a kid and his parents were getting a divorce and you know he started to have some emotions about it and Mm -hmm. went to negative coping like alcohol and Mm -hmm. isolation and then Mm -hmm. uh one day and he's a creative person was doing a you know art project and out was a friend and the rest of the story after read in the book but you know it's just a little blurb about you know how can I change things up and do things differently and once I learn those things kind of like on my own and I can use them independently so how do I use support for a little while like a therapist or mm-hmm. you know mentor somebody and then use them regularly on my own like maintenance is your practice full I mean that's people can't find help yeah it's it is it truly hit the full level of crisis now people needed help Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. There was issues, but now that some folks are coming out of Mm -hmm. isolation and Mm -hmm. they never wanted to be on video. So Mm -hmm. those people didn't call, they just stuffed things or cope differently. And now that they want to come in person and I made that available, but um, Mm -hmm. there's way more people. 
I have a friend who has really, really, really excellent insurance and she was trying to get help for her daughter. She called every single name in her insurance book, every single one. And the only one that she could get help with was some virtual conglomerate. And when she Googled it, it had a lot of scary um, Yelp warnings. They take all your money. They don't do anything. They say they're taking insurance and then they take a copay. It was super sketchy. So you're doing amazing work, but also there's not enough of you. Yeah. You can't clone so that's yourself. That's where I'm, I'm like, I need to train somebody else. Right. My, my right. training just went off to internship. Right. right. Yeah. We, we need more people choosing the mental health field, mm-hmm. getting their degrees and going out there and being warriors like yourself because the pandemic is only making the problem worse. And yeah. we're hitting an actual crisis. I mean, yeah, we have a crisis now. I want people like you around to help us take us there to navigate. We need to get in front of our elected officials and ask questions. I'd like to know what this problem is with insurance. I'd like to know why the doctors give up on the insurance companies. Many of them say the paperwork. Many of them say they don't pay enough. They have one psychiatrist told me that between his student loans and the cost of rent in Los Angeles, that he just can't afford to take insurance. But he said, I do pro bono work with very needy individuals. What scares me are the people in the middle that can't get into his practice because they're not needy. And yeah, we need to help everybody. I'm in California. You know, we're in California and we have, you know, there's help out there, but there's just not enough. And many people talk about the laws that changed to protect people's civil rights, which was important, but we may have overcorrected. We have a very, very serious crisis with homeless and mental illness. I'm wondering what you think about that in terms of the insurance, the cost, the price point. Can you tell me a little bit about your thoughts on that? More and more, I'm into it, you know, the different plans and every little plan is different. So only on at this point, have I made some headway in gaining um, an understanding of navigating it? But, you know, most of us have to pay somebody else to deal with. So if you don't have any buffer in your budget to deal with that, then you get people like my colleague who has one one insurance she'll take because she has to do all the paperwork herself. And that one fortunately pays fairly well. And she's an MFT. So mm-hmm. they get paid less. And then sometimes they get paid chop way down to even like a quarter of like what she gets paid now. And so she's just like, I can't take that one. Right. So for me, you know, I do testing as well. And so that that's mm-hmm. a whole conundrum. It's just like every little unit has to be demarcated. And, you know, just this morning I'm I'm saying, well, this person needs an autism evaluation and we'll cover less than eight hours. And it's like, no, this is usually 10 to 12 hours. So when do you want us to make a diagnosis with just like this limited knowledge that's not ethical? And then right. what happens? What's the next step in a situation like so that? So I do have to do a pre-authorization. I don't know what happens. This is the first time I've, I've done that. But that okay. usually is then somebody's out, out of pocket, right, for what testing. Ha- how much would that be and for that family? Out of pocket for testing? Mm-hmm. It runs between like fifteen and 2000 But then some people go up to two to 3000 mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I've talked with families here, like approximately the Calabasas area, that the doctors want 6000 Most middle-class Americans don't have savings, not to mention the inflation. How can someone go out of pocket 1500 when they're paying $2,000 a month for insurance 
or $3,000 a month for insurance. And then on top of it, they don't have, it's not fair. It's wrong. These diagnoses need to happen just like you have a heart diagnosis Mm -hmm. that needs to happen. And this is, again, part of what my plan is as I move forward with my goals for my nonprofit, One Village Green, is to make those laws to get in there in the nitty gritty and understand, like, why is it that 90% of our psychiatrists don't take insurance? And there's a shortage of psychiatrists. Right, right. not to mention the shortage. That's the awful. It's like we talk about mental health providers, and then Mm -hmm. I tell every time I Mm -hmm. teach them group of students that please consider psychiatry Mm -hmm. a Mm -hmm. shortage and Mm -hmm. then Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? Not to mention psychology. We have a shortage of you guys, too. Not to mention the medical doctors. And even when we have them, like I said, most of them don't take insurance, which is a flip on the average doctor treating other parts of the body. It's maybe flipped. Maybe, you know, 20 percent don't approximately, whereas 90 percent of the psychiatrists don't. And when you ask them oh. about it, they have a very cogent reason. But people are suffering. There is true suffering going on and it affects all of us. It affects everybody. Yeah, it, it's a collective effect. It's right. We look at health disparities research. That's right. Someone else is suffering at that level and you see it, you acknowledge it somehow. It affects your health. And, you know, everybody's talking about, let's ask this question about stigma. Everybody's talking about stigma, mental health stigma, and there is stigma. And then a lot of our celebrities, and I'll give credit to so many of them, like Lady Gaga, who truly are trying to break stigma. And yet I read something recently online where somebody said, well, my my kid wanted to go in the military, but they rejected him due to his depression because he had been treated for depression. But wouldn't you rather have someone in the military that has been treated for depression rather than someone who's never been treated for depression? These are the types of problems that contribute to this issue of stigma because they're afraid to come out of the woodwork or even go get treatment altogether. Somebody has a dream of being in the military and they know that if they go get treatment, they can't be in the military, then they're not going to get treatment. Now, I have a friend whose kid is in the military and she says, oh, that's not true. So maybe I shouldn't even be having this conversation because I need to do a little more research on the laws pertaining directly to the military, for example. But even, you know, lawyers and people, the stigma is real on an institutional level. Tell me your thoughts on stigma and when you're working with patients and families and your thoughts in that area. I would say it's intersectional. You know, it depends on like cultural factors and certainly gender and how much someone is adopting certain cultural values. So that plays into it. You know, some of it's just exposure. Like, what are we talking about here? They don't they don't have a language for feelings. They don't have words to describe what's going on in their mind. And so that can become a barrier. So sometimes that's where we see, okay, someone like at a school setting, a counselor has identified this child with anxiety or depression and family didn't have language to describe but they just knew that something was going on, something's different about. Or, you know, where autism or ADHD neurodevelopmental disorders don't get identified until someone at school sees something going on. The family just knows, oh, they're a little bit different, like uncle so-and-so. You know, one thing I was thinking, I wonder what you think about this idea, sort of a, a radical, not radical, just an idea I had, and you're a doctor, so I'm gonna ask your opinion. So many teens are defiant. So many families come with cultures of therapies for, you know, other people. It's not for me. We don't talk about our feelings or, you know, yeah. you know, more poorly um, used language than that. What about yeah. the idea that, you know, every year you have to take your kid to the pediatrician. Every year you go to the pediatrician. Yeah, we got to go get our teeth cleaned. What if the pediatrician wasn't just looking at checking your heart, checking your lungs? Yeah, at a certain age, they do fill out these surveys like, how do you feel? Mm-hmm. Do you feel sad? 
Here's yeah. an interesting thought. What if in that very office and part of the, well, I'm sorry, kid, but every year we got to do this. This is just too bad. And part of that is therapy. Mm-hmm. And part of it is psychiatric support, hypothetical. Now, not everybody's pro-medication, and that's fair, and parents are allowed to say no. But sure. if that were just like, oh, well, got to get your teeth cleaned, got to get your brain cleaned, got to get just your heart cleaned. Right. Yeah. right. Screening is, is powerful, right. absolutely. Identification. Asked, right. Whereas usually what happens is the parent goes, can I talk to you, doctor, when my kid's out of the room? The doctor says, sure. So the parent is having this hushed conversation in the hallway. My friend described mm-hmm. this incident. It's just, okay, my kid's got problems. I need a therapist. I need a psychiatrist. No problem. I'll give you some names on a list and then make the phone calls. None of these people take concern in the cycle, the cycle, the cycle. But if it were in the office and Mm -hmm. it was like, okay, my turn is done. You've gotten your shots. The doctor checked your lungs. Now Dr. Shum is going to give you your 15 minute evaluation and your therapy. And if you want more, you'll set that up for a weekly or a monthly. And um, I have a friend who got so desperate that she asked her pediatrician if she could come in every week and have her kid just talk to him. And uh, the guy's like why and and my friend was like because there's literally nobody else and he likes you and he's willing to talk to you why, why can't you do that like why won't you do that something's wrong just like if something were wrong with his stomach you would let me come in every week and talk about that and the doctor was like just go on the list and my friend really struggled finding help and her yeah. kid was very very defiant that's another problem too is people don't want to go in you know if you have the a teen kid didn't want to go to therapy yeah these people don't want to go these are children you know they, they come maybe maybe my, my friend's husband wasn't really into there. I don't know the reason why her kid didn't want to go, but you know, <laughs> I know I can't get my kids to do anything I want them to do. My kids are very stubborn, so I can only imagine. Um, well, that, that's the part, you know, colleague and I talk about the natural like individuation mm-hmm. at that point is mm-hmm. where I want to be my own person. Mm-hmm. But even, even then, if your child does go to therapy because you say so, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. are they going to talk? Well, like that, that's thing. a good question, they, too. That's a good do question. anything that's changeable, mm-hmm. are they going to tell you what's wrong? And I've had a few cases where, you know, if they don't tell us what's mm-hmm. underneath, mm-hmm. it's like there's something there mm-hmm. and they all acknowledge that. But they don't want to say it yet. Yeah, but I wish it would be just part of our, our mental health, um, physical health part of the the process part of the process from the get-go if you, if you bring your baby yeah. in to the pediatrician then it becomes normalized yeah right it becomes normalized and it's it's like you know if somebody's not particularly quote-unquote into it that's okay too but at least it was part of the evaluation mm-hmm. um, you might not be into western medicine for example you might be a parent who's more likely to go to holistic mm-hmm. medicine well if western american health system were set up to where we treated mind body spirit in the doctor's office Yes. From the beginning, it would yes. also be less complicated for parents. It's extremely stressful. And especially because of what we're both talking about. I mean, how many people have 10 to call 50 people and then get no response? They don't have time. They Keep don't searching. have time. But they make time because their kid's suffering. And then they yeah. still don't. And, and you know what? Still they, don't get it. I have a question for you about this issue of we don't have enough people. Why don't we have enough psychiatrists? Why don't we have enough psychologists? What's your thought on that? I think some of the things you've talked about is the payment process, right? Yeah. And that issue, at least since PhD level, doctoral level psychologists, there was an issue of even just internship shortages. And that that's a funding issue. So when I was doing my match process, like we have to do a one year internship at a site and we have to go apply to them, et cetera, et cetera. And there's so many in the nation, but there weren't enough sites for how many people were applying. And so they did this boost of 
trying to fund the number more internships to fill the need. And I don't know what the stats are now, but there's been improvement. I know some that started from scratch, but even that is just like, there needs to be funds for the training program. If that's required, you can't even finish your degree if you don't have an internship. So then you have people delayed a year, maybe two, depending on what's going on. And I could go on for however long about, you know, private institutions that are dragging people from getting out the door so that they have to continue to pay. What do you mean by that? For their degree. So there's programs that have, that's called a PsyD. Yeah, I've heard a of A doctor those. of psychology mm-hmm. rather than a PhD. Mm-hmm. And they're usually at private institutions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So someone paying lots and lots mm-hmm. of money out of their own pocket, get very few loans. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, there's people in those places that aren't, I would say ethical about mm-hmm. allowing the students to finish on time. This is information I didn't know. I do a lot of research. Well, and that, the issue is like, if it's an issue with private institutions, we'll put all these people on mm-hmm. it. They'll put all these more, way more people in a cohort of a starting class, right? Because mm-hmm. they want to be paid. Mm-hmm. Then where's the funding for the state institutions? Because they're the ones that are dragging people into debt who are going into right. this profession, right? Right? Because that's a right. deterrent. That student loan debt thing is a disaster. Let me ask you something. Does most yeah. of this funding come at the state level or is it also federal funding? For PhD program? Yeah, is it a combination of federal and state? I don't know if there's federal funding or how much is the federal funding. I just know because I went out of state and they had state funds for like mm-hmm. my stipend or like yeah. my tuition. You went to Houston. Like you were in Houston, Texas. My husband's from Texas. I love Texas. This is actually really, really helpful and important information, doctor. I know there's a shortage. I didn't understand this internship thing. We need to lobby. I have a lobbyist in D.C., and he told me an incredible statistic that for every dollar they spend on suicide prevention programs, suicide goes down. That's what he told me. That's so direct. It's he says it's direct. And I'm taking this information from a lobbyist. I didn't double check the information. So this is, um, you know, if I were a journalist, I'd have to have, what, two or three verifications. But this information about the internship program correlates to this issue of funding from our government and understanding the importance of mental health. Where did you get your internship? I actually stayed in Houston at Houston um, Independent School District. They have psychological services. So we did crisis intervention with students in the schools and we did testing. That site actually is no longer there Either it's not an internship anymore. Because funding? I don't know 100% funding. There was some shift in the where it was located mm-hmm. and then it dissolved. What, what does crisis intervention look like in a high school? There's a couple layers. So we did school-wide, which meant like somebody, a student or a faculty died and it could have been suicide death or another death. And so we would go into the classroom and we would announce that and we'd be ready for grief counseling immediately for the students who were affected. And then we'd go back and support them with grief counseling. And then individually, if there were students with suicide or self-harm or um, severe mental illness that needed to be addressed, then we would go directly to those students in the schools. I call it like mental health ambulance because we'd go driving around to different schools as needed based on the calls. Would you go to the kids' houses? No. What about the kids' Their parents would come. But what about the kids that won't seek out help and just refuse it? Yeah, that that's a hard one. You know, we always say we can't we can't help someone who's not ready to change. 
mm-hmm. even in therapy, right? But there's there's kids out there who want help. And then like you talk about certain families have stigma and they don't want to take their kids to therapy because what does that mm-hmm. mean about their family? And, you know, there's institutions that can be institutional where they're frightened. For mm-hmm. example, some people are frightened to get their kid labeled with something because they're afraid yeah. it'll dog them for the rest of your, their lives. Yes. I have people that I've known for years who have gotten labeled when mm-hmm. they were young and it affected their futures. It affected their wow. lives. And yet the irony of that, of course, is that if you're treated for a mental illness, you might actually be more mentally healthy than a lot of people who weren't ever treated for a mental illness. That's the piece of it, I feel, for society that we just need to stop. I have a radical idea or just a thought that why don't we treat without labeling? For example, mm-hmm. just just as my idea, this is important that I say this to you. I am not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I don't even have an undergraduate degree in psychology. I have a degree in philosophy, if that's any indication. And I'm a screenwriter and a novelist and a film producer. So I'm saying to you right now that this is just a layman's thought. What if we, as a society, develop that smooth, integrative mental health treatment without a label? For example, well, you know, I have a a little pile of vitamins and pills. Some of mine are for my mental health. Some of mine are for my physical health. Why does everything have to have a label? Maybe Joey takes lithium and Lisa doesn't take lithium. And that's okay. Nobody has to have a label. What are your thoughts on that? Is that too Pollyanna? You're dealing with the medical model right there. Right. Because it runs on labels. And so we in Western society, we're dealing with the medical model and it that it functions through labels like the ICD-10 is above that. That's like the global. And then like, you know, we have the DSM-5, now it's TR, right, for psychological disorders. But then you see how that maps to insurance, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to have a diagnosis to see somebody for therapy and get Mm -hmm. billed for insurance. So Mm -hmm. people get things like an adjustment disorder Mm because it's like an immediate issue. So I think, you know, if you were to look at, okay, what month? Models that people use in like Eastern medicine or the future of DSM is that they are going, they call it dimensional model. So instead of saying something very specific about the symptom criteria, it's like on what level is it somebody having a certain dimension of a symptom and it has a spectrum. And so they'd kind of more do a rating of that. Right. Like I have friends who say, well, my son is autism spectrum one or whatever, but I'm being very Pollyanna and saying, what if the future looks like nobody has a label, but we do treat. I'm not opposed to treatment. I'm not opposed to medicines. I'm personally pro all treatments, including if needed medical intervention, i.e. medication. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are anti-medication. That's not me. But I see what labels have done to some people. And I also see what not getting help has done to other people. Mm -hmm. So it's all a mess. But I would love to see a world where people get treated and it doesn't ruin their lives. I'd like to see a world where the kid who refuses to leave his room gets treated because you got to go to the dentist. Well, guess what? Pediatrician day means you're going to get some kind of mental health support, whether you like yeah. it or not. But, you know, it's well, all that's something to advocate for in, you know, home visiting for therapists, because we know that some of the worst cases are home now. Do and they not have the that? one intervention, you know, silver lining of the pandemic is the videos. Right. So sometimes you can reach those people. Right. And that that is one thing. There are people who you have to reach that way. And I absolutely do feel like that there are some advantages to our technology, our technological world. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's a very complex, multi-systemic 
cocktail of a problem. Absolutely. What do you we think? are just yeah. scratching the surface right. right now. Right. We are just scratching the surface. And I know you said you had to go. We also have a problem with just like there's not enough beds in mental health facilities, too. Yeah. I mean, talk about stigma is like what does a hospitalization really mean for somebody? Right. And, you know, like in the old days, like, well, you know, she had the nervous breakdown. Yes. She was in and out of hospitals. And it's like, like you said, what does that even mean? What does the word nervous breakdown mean? It's a it's an old fashioned phrase. It needs to yeah. be put away. Yeah. And like you say, the word hospitalization. Now people go to these homes in like neighborhoods. Hmm. I mean, is that a hospital? I mean, you know, they go to these places, the ones that are turned into mental health facilities. It's very complicated, obviously, right? Yes. I mean, you're a doctor. Yeah. And like you said, we're just scratching the surface. But you're doing such great work. Do you want to tell us again your Instagram information? And because I actually think you're doing some beautiful things and the book you wrote. So my Instagram is my full name. It's Emily, S-H-U-M as in Mary, D-H-D. And our book's on there. And uh, we just have a simple name. It's uh, Glowing Up. So that's kind of the trend for kiddos who are, they're growing up, but they're kind of coming into their own. And um, Maya's, uh, you know, more on the forefront of, you know, language and things like that. So she came up with that part. But it's a self-care um, handbook for teens. And that's the subtitle. And so Maya Gwen's my co-author and she's the creative arm of most of that. Dr. Shum, you are amazing. And I consider you one of our heroes because it's such a terrible crisis. And I appreciate everything you're doing and the face-to-face -face groups that you're running. And I will put it all on my Instagram as well as my Facebook. And I am, as I told you, just getting started one yeah. Village Green is just a very beginning stage nonprofit. My podcast is just getting started. And I'm so grateful that you took the time out of your very busy schedule to talk to me. It means absolutely the world to me. And I'm, I'm so, so glad you had us. I'm so glad you're doing this because I'm going to follow you now. And we're going to, like you said, we're in this together. We we're are going to circle back around to this. Yes. And Dr. Shum, I'm, I hope you'll come back and stay as, you know, it's very, very important to me. And um, I'm going to call you again and I want you to come back. And the fact that you took time for this, I really appreciate it because I know how busy you are. Thank it's important you. to me too. So I'll, that's what I said. If you want to bring it up, I'll help. Fantastic. I will. Thank you. Thanks so much, Marilee. Thank you, doctor. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode and follow us at One Village Green on Instagram and Facebook. Speak to you soon.